Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of nursing and healthcare and true crime and just really a little bit of everything. We talk about all kinds of stuff on this podcast. And for those of you who are true crime enthusiasts and you kind of stumbled upon this and you're like, oh, this is a different kind of true crime podcast, you're probably going to hate it. I'm just going to tell you right now. You're probably like, wait, this is the worst true crime podcast I've ever heard in my entire life. Because really... It's nurses, you know, it's me and another nurse or another healthcare professional, and we do talk about true crime. We do a story every week, but we get to talking about our healthcare stuff too, and we're very passionate about it. So for those of you who who came in here just looking for true crime, I apologize. You might want to skip over this. Go look up, you know, the, the prosecutor's podcast or whatever, My Favorite Murder. There's some great ones out there, and I love them all. But for those of you who have been going on to Apple Podcasts and giving me those five-star reviews and saying, hi, Tina, and telling me how much you've, you're enjoying the podcast and how long you've been listening and all of that stuff, my gosh, you have no idea. I appreciate it so much. It does my heart so good. I read every single one of them, and it lifts my spirit. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And having said that, I would like to welcome my guest, my friend, and a friend of the podcast and a personal friend, the nurse, Erica. Hey, Erica. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm doing good. I finished up my second travel nurse contract, and so I just feel so free and (laughs) like, yay. I'm just, I don't know. It's just nice. You do seem like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders. Yeah. It's sad that it has to be that way. I'm, you know, it really does make me sad. But at the same time, I'm really happy to be with my family, not traveling and dealing with all that stuff. But yeah, I love Christmas too. That also has something to do with it. So we have a couple of pretty interesting stories to talk about today. First of all, we've got a really interesting bad nurse story. It actually involves a nurse and a doctor. But for the good nurse story, you guys want to stick around. We're going to actually talk about a few different stories. Some We're going to talk about the dangers of being a nurse and being in healthcare and posting on social media and on the internet and how, how we can get ourselves in trouble. All of us can. We can do that without even realizing it, not even thinking that we're doing anything wrong or anything that could potentially get us fired. And man, we're going to talk about another story that I just can't even, you guys, for all the shows I've done, four and a half years of doing this podcast, it really is one of the most shocking stories. Yeah. Is it not? I mean, like one of them, like you just hear it and you're just going to wait. It's unbelievable. I I know I've said that so many times, but you stick around so you can hear this conversation because I can't wait to talk to Erica. Erica's, oh my gosh, her insight is amazing. So I just always want to go, anytime I hear a, a news story, 
that is involving nurses or healthcare, I'm like, what is nurse? What is the nurse Erica saying? And I've got to go. Is she talking about it? And of course she is. She's she knows she's got her finger on the pulse of like everything that has to do with nursing. CBD Stat, they're amazing products. Love them. They support our podcast. Their CBD product is some of the absolute purest CBD out there. And some of my friends use it for headaches. I personally use it for foot pain. It helps with some people with their back pain. It's truly an amazing product. And they are so good to healthcare professionals. Such a good company. You know, I was able to use their product for the first time after you and I returned from Washington, D.C. for the Nurses March. They provided me with some samples. And I used it on a sore knee and then later on a sore wrist. And it helped so much. My daughter even uses it on her back for her scoliosis. And it really does help. That's amazing. And of course, their products are 100% THC free, which is great for travel nurses who have to take a drug test every three months. They only offer very strong CBD greater than 1,000 milligrams. If you're interested, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash goodnursebadnurse. That's cbdstat.care forward slash goodnursebadnurse. Be sure and put the forward slash goodnursebadnurse in there so they'll know that we sent you there. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. This is definitely just a kind of a trigger warning here. And it's going to involve violence, gun violence. It's domestic violence. So just alcohol, alcohol just it's a not a pleasant story, as, as many of our true crime stories are not. As we always say on this podcast, we don't bury our head in the sand and pretend like bad things don't happen. We just like to talk about it, get it all out there, and maybe, maybe learn from it, right? So this is the story yeah. of Holly Osborne. Holly is a registered nurse in Ohio. She was married to Christopher Osborne, who was a doctor. He, he was born March 17th in 1968 in Victorville, California. He died on July 18th in 2018 in Dublin, Ohio at the age of 50. He was practicing medicine at the Dublin Medical Clinic and worked part-time at the Mary Rutan Hospital. So we're going to just jump right into this story and with both feet and just say what happened right up front. In the early morning hours of July 18th in 2018, Holly called her father and told him that she had blacked out. When she woke up, she found her husband, Dr. Christopher Osborne, dead. Her father, hearing this and hearing the way she was talking, believed that she was probably intoxicated. So he did the right thing, Erica, and immediately called the police. As a mother, I, it, isn't it, it's hard to imagine being in this position where I thought about mm-hmm. that. You questioned re- whether you would do that yeah, or not. I did. You know, I, I think I might hop in the car and drive over there myself yeah. if, if possible. I don't know the proximity yeah. for them, but oh, just calling the police. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I know. It's the right thing to do. But. Yes, it was absolutely the right thing to do. And I think that in, any of the instincts that kind of bubble up in my heart and in my head, when I think about my children and wanting to protect them, I 
I know that in reality would not be the best thing. It, it, it's never going to be the best thing. You're not going to get away with trying to go over there and help clean up the situation. The best thing is to just face it head on and be there to support your family member as best as you possibly can. But you've just got to face the music. You got to face the consequences of what happened. So police arrived at the couple's home in the 5700 block of Anna Shannon place around 7.30 a.m. and discovered Dr. Osborne in the couple's bed with three gunshot wounds to the head. Holly was unsteady on her feet and her eyes were glossy and bloodshot. Her speech was slurred and police had to repeat their questions to her several times during their interview. And this is all according to many, I mean, multiple articles on the internet, yeah. including a very extensive article on court TV. So this, in this, this is the police version of the conditions when they got there. So he had not one, but three mm-hmm. gunshot wounds to yeah. the head. Yeah. And lying in the bed, that's, you know, I mean, yeah. that's really shocking. It's, it's kind of hard to understand how somebody could be, you know, what, what circumstances there could have been that, some, that one person is in the bed shot three times and the other person is completely unscathed it it you know yeah because how much of a an immediate threat mm-hmm. could that person have been lying in the yeah. bed you know either they were asleep or they're resting right but you can assume probably not an immediate threat of any kind right well police located two firearms near the couple's bed and tests confirmed that Holly was the last person to handle one of the firearms Gunshot residue was confirmed to be on her hands and her eyebrows. Franklin County Prosecutor Daniel Leonard would later note that the tests of the defendant's hands reached, quote, the cutoff, stating that positive results are only designed to detect 10 particles. So he said they don't go up any higher than that. That, I guess that's telling. You know, it's sort of saying in order to get that high, you had to be really, really close to that. Right. So you would think, I mean, just using my own logic, not not, say, not, not saying that anyone actually said this, but just thinking about how just my own logic, not really understanding how really gun, I don't know much about guns, but if you're close enough to someone who has been shot that you got gunshot residue on you, but you were not the one pulling the trigger, like you're literally that close, you right. would have to wonder why that person would shoot the person beside you three times and wouldn't shoot you. You know, what, how, how do you shoot one person three times in the head and the person yeah. so close, you know, that they got that much yeah. gunshot residue on them and they didn't yeah. get shot. That was my initial thinking. Well, does she, did she deny this? Did she admit to this? Well, she, yeah, she definitely denied it. I think it. <laughs> it's a, kind of an interesting story, you know, the way it happened. So, you know, despite the evidence accumulated against her, she did maintain a disposition of innocence. She was arrested nearly a year after the death of her husband and then placed on house arrest after posting bond. She was charged with two counts of murder with special firearm enhancements. That's weird. I don't understand two counts, but I guess they do that because of maybe there's multiple laws. So you're committing multiple infractions. And so they can, they want to get more time added to your sentence or they want, if they can't convict you on one, they want to at least make sure they get the other. I don't know. 
Right, right. Wasn't there something about reportedly he may have had extramarital affairs and that may have been a potential motive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely some talk about that. During her trial, they alleged that she killed her husband in his sleep because he was unfaithful early on in their marriage. They painted the story of an insecure and jealous wife. They also emphasized that Holly's excessive drinking had caused a rift in the couple's relationship. So near the time of the murder, the couple had reportedly made divorce arrangements. Yeah, that's a really volatile time. I, I, I've done so many of these stories with spouses or partners, significant others, where they will break up or separate and they know things are ending, but they stay in the same house. And I, man, I, I get that. Do you really? Because, you know, yeah. I mean, as someone who's been divorced, it's been a long Mm -hmm. time, but I I get that because especially if you've been together a long time, your finances are connected. One person moving out, isn't going to have enough money potentially saved up to just immediately move out furniture. And if there's kids involved, you want to stay in close proximity, be part of their daily life, you know, so I I can see that I don't think that it ever really goes well. Yeah. (laughs) But I can see the reason for doing that temporarily. It just seems so unhealthy and so dangerous. Because unless you have a really good relationship with the person, and you are both very mature, and are able to really handle it. And I mean, just think about the dynamics of seeing someone else talking to some, you know, if you were to start talking to other people, or, you know, even if it wasn't romantic, you would start thinking, you know, the things I don't know, it just seems unhealthy, and just seems volatile, and like a recipe for disaster in a lot. In most cases, I would, I would think, you know, Emotions run so do high. Do we know how long they were married? No, I don't think we do. I don't know that I ever saw how long. Because it said he was thought to have had affairs early in mm-hmm. the marriage. So I wonder how yeah, long. Yeah, like how long it had been going on. Yeah, I am not sure how long they've been married. And I, they're, they're, th- this actual story and, and different accounts of it and all of the events of this story, there are multiple, multiple articles. I mean, you can just find them all over. But as far as personal information about them before this event, it is very limited, very, very limited. And I, it just makes me wonder if, you know, there are some people that kind of scour the internet just wanting to kind of clear. They don't want to be found. And with him being a doctor, I could kind of see that. Maybe he paid to have neither of their personal information, you know, out there and available. In fact, the information that I found on where he was born and his birthday, all that was actually his obituary. So yeah, that was, other than that, nothing. I could not find anything. So it's hard to know. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast, and they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. Com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. 
During the trial, her legal team argued that there was a lack of proof that she killed her husband and that the gunshot residue on her body could have been transferred to her while she was in police custody. That was her story, and she was sticking to it. They also argued that there was no motive for the murder. They were not having, you know, that she was jealous. They, they were saying, though, that she didn't stand to benefit from a life insurance policy due to a considerable amount of accumulated debt. So you were talking about the financial problems that can arise with, you know, when two, pe- two people have been married for a while. So if they had a considerable amount of debt. They were probably, yeah. even with a doctor making as much money as he was making, they were probably still pretty tight on their finances. If if they were in so much debt that a life insurance policy really would not have helped her very much, that's a lot of debt. I mean, because you, you would imagine a life insurance policy would probably be $500,000, a million, something for a doctor. Yeah. But also, do- I've talked about this a lot too, doctors many times have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student yes. loan debts. Because they have to go to school for right. so long, they cannot work through school. And if they don't aren't if they're not if they don't come from a really wealthy family that can afford to you know help get them through school and pay for their medical school, what else do you have? Yeah, and depending on their specialty, a lot of specialties don't make as much money as people think they right. do, even as physicians. That is true. That's true. I mean, if, if you if you look it up, I mean, family medicine internal medicine, just sort of general practitioners, a lot of times 150, 200,000 a year. So I mean, yeah, that sounds don't get me wrong. That's a lot of money. I don't I'm not trying to say it. it's not a lot of money. But relatively speaking, and what you think of, right, physicians making and also relative to the cost of living and whatever, and the, the amount of student loan debt that they have. Education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's probably not not a whole lot. Yeah, that's very true. So Holly's attorney also tried to get the gunshot residue test and her statements made to the police the day of the murder ruled inadmissible at trial. He argued that she was intoxicated while being interrogated. So what do you think about that? If you are, so you're intoxicated, the police come along, they can tell you obviously are under the influence of something, alcohol, drugs, something. And so you're just chatty Kathy telling all kinds of stuff who knows and they're like hey do you want to do you want an attorney and they don't offer an attorney are you do you think they should be accountable to for what they are saying or do you think no 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 the police should wait until they're sober that's a tough one I I'm sure that this has been brought up in the past in different similar trials there's definitely an argument to be made for that but at the same time, does that mean just because wouldn't you think that if that were known to be accepted as a as a reasonable excuse that everyone would say it? You know, all they have to say is, oh, I took something earlier, I, you know, yeah. and then you don't have those results right away. I don't know. That's that's a that's a legal precedent question for an attorney. I don't have the answer, but I think that's a, it's reasonable to make that argument. What I think is that if you have done something to yourself 
to impair your thinking, it's it, to me, it's no different than if you do something to impair your thinking in terms of ta- drinking alcohol, taking drugs, anything like that, and then you make a bad decision. You choose to get behind the wheel of a car and you kill someone. Yeah. You can't use the excuse yeah. that what well, I didn't know what I was doing. I was drunk. I had had right. my, my blood alcohol level was, you know, three times the legal limit. How could I have known? I didn't, yeah. it, I don't even remember picking up the keys. Well, no, because when you were stone cold sober, you made the decision to take, yeah. to put a chemical in your body that's going to affect your brain in that way that you know that, and eventually you're in your right mind and you know you're in your right mind. And you also know when you, you can tell when you start, you, you know, you're kind of having too much. It's to me something that all of us could think about and consider because if you choose to do something like that, you are responsible. You can't use the excuse, right. you know, oh, but I, I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't realize it. I just, I, you know, you can't take a pain, pain medicine, a pain pill and get in the car and drive. You just can't do that. You kill somebody and yeah. you will go to jail. Yeah. So to, true. to me, it's the same Very thing. You, 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 you take medicine, you, you drink, whatever, you commit a crime, the police come to investigate. And whatever you say, you say, I mean, you can also say, hey, I didn't know what I was saying. I was out of it. I had been drinking and I had no idea what I was saying. Right. So whatever I said, who knows? So what does, does she contend that she just found him dead? Yeah, th- I don't think there was ever an explanation. I don't think that she said, this is what I think happened. And you don't have to. You do not have to offer up a, an alternative. Right. You know, you don't, that's not, you're, because the prosecutor has to prove that you're guilty. You don't have to prove that you're innocent. You don't have to say, well, here's why I didn't do it. It's because that person did it. You know, it probably would help if you could offer some explanation like, yeah, there was somebody that was really out to get him and someone threatened him and whatever, if there was anything, you know, that I, of all the stories that are out there on this, this particular event that happened, I haven't seen one explanation like that on what happened. Wow. So on October 6th in 2022, this just happened. The jury convicted Holly of two counts of murder with firearms specifications. Mm -hmm. She was sentenced to 18 years to life in prison in November of 2022. Franklin County public defenders representing Holly indicated she plans to appeal her case and ask that she be given a bond when she appeals. The presiding judge did not grant Holly a bond She will remain behind bars. Holly, at the request of her legal counsel, did not speak during the sentencing. However, two members of Dr. Osborne's family spoke at the sentencing, and one of Dr. Osborne's daughter submitted a letter that the prosecutor read aloud. The daughter accused Holly of of draining her father's bank account of more than $40,000 after he died and taking furniture from his home. She said, I cried myself to sleep and then had nightmares in in my sleep of her. I was constantly on edge and looking over my shoulder, she said in her letter. I couldn't even go to the cemetery for a year to properly mourn because I was afraid that she would be there. She desecrated the grave multiple times with tributes to, quote, their marriage. Tony Osborne, Dr. Osborne's brother, did not mince words during his statement. One senseless, selfish act, and you took my brother's firstborn child, he said. You took my mother's firstborn child, he said. You took Christopher... Mm -hmm. Lauren and Rachel's father, 
and he was a great father. You took my only sibling, my big brother, and my best friend in life. You took a great, caring doctor who won't be able to have a positive impact on his patients' lives. That's heartbreaking. It is. So these are presumably his children from a prior relationship. They didn't have any together? She had a daughter, but I think that maybe that daughter was also from a previous marriage because her daughter's name is Courtney Shear, and she came to her to her mother's defense. She said, our family has grieved. Chris was a great father figure to me. He treated me like I was his own child, despite the way that things have happened. There's so much more to this than anyone can imagine. My mom, she's a beautiful person. Oh, see, that's heartbreaking too. And it makes you wonder when they say there's so much more to this because, well, you and I know we met when we attended the Redonda Vought trial together. There is always so much more that is not brought out in court for various reasons. And it's frustrating. And so when you hear that, it makes you wonder what what else is there to this? Yeah. And I'm sure that there... There's always a lot that goes on behind closed doors in any relationship, in any marriage. I don't care how great of a marriage you have. There, you just, and that's the way it should be. You're not going to, you don't go airing your, your dirty laundry out for everybody. You know, you, you have things that go on just between you. But I think sometimes that can get really dark and ugly. And without even realizing it, you're keeping all this stuff locked in and bottled up to keep up, you know, pretenses, to keep up appearances, you know, keep that facade going. And it's like a pressure cooker sometimes for people. Yeah. That's, that's just really a senseless act of violence, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, these are two healthcare professionals, right. That are now, no longer obviously practicing. And certainly we need all the healthcare professionals we can get right now. Right? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Especially, well, everybody, we need nurses, we need doctors, but yeah, I mean, this is called good nurse, bad nurse. We have plenty of doctors and nurses out there who really have no business practicing medicine <laughs> and taking care of people. I, it baffles the mind sometimes the stories I come across when I'm looking up, you know, re- doing research for these stories. I'm just like, my goodness, we are we have such a shortage of of people willing to work in hospitals and care for patients. It, and yet, yeah. time after time after time, I come across these stories of people who have who are literally currently taking care of patients. I just did a story about a nurse who, at the at the very best, just completely was completely indifferent of a patient who was clearly dying and died under her care in a jail cell. And she still has her license. She's still working as a nurse. And it's, it's hard to understand. It's amazing. This is something that I deal with all the time with my researching cases. It it seems that the ones that should lose their license Mm -hmm. don't. And the ones that shouldn't do lose their yeah. license time and time again. It's it's baffling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I, you know, I will continue to advocate for nurses and for patients, you know, and advocate and advocating for nurses. I believe I'm advocating for patients because I understand the significance of it as somebody who, as I get older, especially there, the chances of me having to be a, a patient in a hospital or, or my husband, it, you know, increase every year. And 
I it, yeah. it's kind of horrifying to think of the state that our healthcare system is in right now. Oh. So I will continue to advocate for nurses and the nursing profession. And in turn, I believe that that's advocating for patients and patient safety. Absolutely. And same goes for me. Always advocating for, for nurses, the nursing profession, and in turn, that equates to patients. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. It's not the same thing as, as, you know, going out there and saying, you know, we just, we want more money. We deserve more money. It's not, it's, it's so much more <laughs> oh, yeah. nuanced. It's way yeah. much more than that. It is. It is. If it, if that's all it was, if all it was about, you know, this the the frustration that nurses feel, and all of us who are trying to fight for better conditions, if all it was about was money, nurses would just because of the way we are, most of us, we would probably not say a whole lot. Yeah, we would. So well, and we probably wouldn't go into nursing. Right, right as much as we do if it was only about exactly money. and we would if if you get in if you get into it and you're just you're, you feel like well I'm just not making enough money you know you would get your master's you would go on to do something else or you whatever but yeah. the the level of frustration that you see from nursing and healthcare staff it is not about money it is I promise you it is about patient safety it is about the conditions that we are having to work under where we leave there feeling like our patients are not safe. That's what we're worried about. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes to beat all stethoscopes the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. And speaking of nurse advocacy, we might as well get into the good nurse portion of this podcast. And 
I have had Erica on before, actually several times, but we we featured featured her once before as the the quote the good nurse, and we we talked about all that she does and her advocacy. And I wanted to bring her back on and talk about that some more, and just talk about some of the crazy stories that are out there, in particular because there was an event that happened recently where several nurses at a hospital were fired for posting a TikTok or in the, I guess they posted on TikTok, Instagram, but it was one of it was kind of one of those trendy kind of of, of posts. There is. Yeah, you see everybody doing it and you think it must be okay, so you do it too. And yeah. I, I I don't know, Erica, tell everybody about this 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 post for one thing. Yeah, so there were four or five labor and delivery nurses and in the video they're, you know, kind of sitting at the nurses station. There's no patients or anything in the video. There, there's no patient information in the video. But they kind of go one-to-one talking about what their ics are, which is, you know, a current TikTok trend. And so it's basically like what your annoyances your are. Ick. You like know? I-C-K, so, uh, like ick, yeah. like the disease fish kit. <laughs> yeah. So one of them says it for her, it's when the father of presumably a newborn baby comes outside and right outside the room says to the nurse, can we get a paternity test? I'm trying to remember what were some of the, oh, one said for her, it's when the the mom or whoever asks how much the baby weighs and they're still holding the newborn. The nurse hasn't even taken the newborn yet to weigh. <laughs> you know, so it's just these like silly little mm-hmm. things, but this video went viral yeah. and multiple news stations networks picked it up and overnight it it went viral not just on tiktok but internationally mm-hmm. everywhere and within like 24 hours i mean it was swift they terminated all of these nurses yeah i i i know i watched the video and I, my initial thought, you know, when I, when I first watch it, watched it was, these are things that I feel like we say to each other in the break room, like you vent like little, little frustrations or things that kind of get under your skin. But in, when, when you're really dealing with your patient, you don't want to reveal anything, any of that frustration to your, your patient. You want to have empathy for them. You want to, if anything, to me, venting in the, in the break room helps me hear myself. Like sometimes I'll, I'll just be like, Oh my gosh, why would they ask me to, to how much their baby weighs? I haven't even had a chance to weigh them. They know I haven't, I had a, you know, like you like just had a frustration. You say stupid things like that. And then I will hear myself say something like that and think, okay, Tina, you're being unreasonable. She's a mother that just gave birth for crying out loud. Give her a break. She's holding her baby and she's just not even thinking about that. Can you have some empathy? (laughs) You know, and I'll correct myself. But no, you don't, you don't air that out for the public. You don't talk, you don't go and vent. That's, that's just not appropriate. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Every single nurse has their own icks. We may not call them icks, but no matter what specialty you're in, I certainly have a million from pediatrics and you would be hard pressed. I don't think you would find a single nurse at a nurse's station on any given shift or in the break room that isn't saying these things to their colleagues. Because, you know, honestly, it's it's a coping mechanism. Like we have to be able to vent our frustrations, but we're professional and we don't do that in front of patients or family members, obviously. 
And they didn't do this in front of patients or family members, but it was posted on the internet. And so I don't think anyone disagrees that it was inappropriate to post it. You know, the, the, the out, outrage came from the public saying, well, now they, they don't feel comfortable maybe going to that particular hospital to give birth. They're worried that the nurses might make fun of them, this, that, and the other. And I, I can appreciate that to an extent. I mean, I think, yeah. okay, you know, maybe that's taking it just a tad bit too far in my opinion, but I can appreciate that. And I can appreciate the hospital's point of view that, you know, this is probably not good for their business, right? If if moms, laboring moms don't want to come there. So they, they absolutely had a lapse in judgment. I think everyone can agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have been put online. There is some, someone has said, I don't know if this has been verified or not, that they didn't agree to put it online on TikTok and someone got a hold of it. And then, you know, as kind of a revenge thing, post it, who knows, who knows, but they did it. They did it. You know, I mean, they obviously made the video, right. And then for whatever reason it was posted. And so for me, the question is, should they have been terminated or not? You know, I think we all agree it was inappropriate. I I think that there should have definitely been some kind of disciplinary action involved. I'm sure it was a violation of their social media policy mm-hmm. in the very least. Yeah. And I'm sure they could probably even be held on like theft of company time, which is a real thing because they were quite literally sitting at the nurse's station. So I don't think they were on their break, all five, four or five of them, you know, so they're on the clock as employees supposed to be working and they're making a video, right? So, so they could very easily and maybe appropriately have been disciplined but did it warrant termination a couple weeks before Christmas, mm-hmm. a swift, like within 24 hours, just across the board termination, which you know that left that unit in in shambles. You can't take four or five nurses immediately out of staffing without just absolutely, you know, killing the unit, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's going to happen huge consequences. Even if you hire travelers, like it's going to take a while to get them in there and onboarded and terrible, terrible to do that from a logistics standpoint, trying to run a a unit. But did it warrant termination? In my opinion, it did not. I really, you know, I, I feel like we need to give people an opportunity to to improve, right? You don't go straight for the jugular. This did not involve patient harm, you know? Mm-hmm. A write-up, a suspension perhaps, but should they have been terminated? I really feel like that was too far. And it, to me, it speaks of the cancel culture that is just prevalent and out of control everywhere throughout society. I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, I... I- I tend to agree. I I agree that it was bad judgment. Absolutely. I, especially, you know, some of them were, were, you know, more, some of them to me were more legitimate than others, like the the icks, you know, because you could see where like it would be awkward, some of the situations that they were talking about. 
And so I could, I could see why, man, this is so awkward. Why are they having this conversation out here in the hall? Like this is, so I could see why that would quote be an ick for someone. Make it fun of new moms. I mean, to me, that's just, it's hard to imagine like doing that. I mean, really a, a new mom, you know how excited they are. I don't know if these nurses are not moms, like what? How can they not like have empathy? But again, again, I have not worked as the labor and delivery nurse. So it's hard for me to really put myself in their shoes because I do know that we all in any job, you guys think about this, any job you have, you, you know, things, I don't know, things get under your skin and what may get under my skin may not get under your skin. And I may be venting to you and you may be thinking, why is she making such a big deal out of that? It's not that big of a deal. And same vice versa. But, you know, we're just talking to each other and just kind of working through it. But then when we're taking care of our patients, you put on, you know, you put on your game face and you, you act professional and you certainly don't go out in public where it could be seen by patients that that are going to then judge you and say and I mean think stop and think about that how that sounds you I know that being a nurse and listening to what nurses say to me you know in the break room about their patients some like if I had to go in the hospital I would be worried that like they're probably thinking this this and this you know because I've heard so many times what people say it also helps me to have empathy for ner- for patients because I I am very I'm a very I'm definitely an empath I I'm always putting myself in other people's shoes. So if I hear somebody complaining about their patient, I immediately think, what if I was the patient? Like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we have to allow ourselves some room to to air out our frustrations, but we've got to be careful. We cannot be going on the internet, on social media and complaining about our patients in a way that is making fun of them, degrading them and it's right. not becoming, it's not professional as an, I don't care if it is on your own, even if it is on your personal time, I don't think it's right. I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I do feel bad for these nurses though. I mean, this, this video, huge everywhere, major news yeah. networks, international, you know, and their name and their, and their face is out there everywhere. And I, from what I understand, one of them was currently going to school to be a nurse practitioner and was immediately, you know, kicked out of her NP program and lost her scholarship. And so, yeah, I mean, they have paid tremendously. Yeah. Not only were they immediately terminated, but they were terminated right before Christmas. And these were all travelers. So, you know, they don't even live there, right? So presumably. So, you know, they're they're away from home, probably their family, two weeks before Christmas, suddenly unemployed. And then one of them is getting kicked out of their nurse practice. You know, I can only imagine that's not going to be easy for her to get into another program having to disclose that she was already kicked out of one and all the money and time that went into that, you know. This, this cancel culture, you know, I've, I've been the victim of this. It certainly is vicious and dangerous and it's gone too far. It's out of control. You know, it, it's like this palpable bloodthirst, you know, yeah. no one can make any kind of a mistake any small or large anymore without the entire world and people that hide behind keyboards just viciously attacking them viciously it's 
it's gone too far. Yeah, I'll tell you something else. So one hospital that I worked at, uh, there was a nurse that actually she was in an administrative role. She was in kind of a management type role. And she was going around with her phone and asking a question. She was like, hey, I'm filming a documentary why did you become a nurse? And I, she, she, she held the, her phone up to me. I was literally working. I was walking, like yeah. walking through the nurse's station. Like I was busy and you were caught. And off I was guard. caught off guard. And she said, Hey Tina, I'm filming a documentary. And uh, like I said, this person is in a, a position of authority. What, why did you, I just want to know, why did you become a nurse? Like real fast. And I'm like, I became a nurse because I want to help people or, you know, something like that. Like I just said it really fast. And then I went on my way at some point later. I started thinking about it because I heard her playing a video and like showing someone else and they were laughing. And I realized what she had done is she was going around to different nurses, getting them to say why they became a nurse. And she was using that filter where it changes your face into like this horrible cry, like the ugly cry. No, yeah. No, oh no. Without, I had without no idea you. that's what she was doing. Oh, see, that's, that's wrong. I mean, what yeah. in the world? What if somebody came up and said, hey, I'm doing a documentary on like, you know, things that frustrate us about our job. Like, and then I just said, uh, real, real fast said something and then kept going. What's to, who's to say that's not what happened in the situation to at least some of these, who knows that, that they had no idea, literally, it never dawned on me this was going to be because I'm so dumb and <laughs> naive. Like I, I don't think about stuff like that. I just, it occurred to me later, I was like, Oh, my gosh, what did I say? And then I thought, yeah. actually, I didn't say anything bad. So that's fine. But still, it might be out, honestly, it, it could very well be out there somewhere, because I don't even think I follow that person, you know, on social media. So who knows, it may, of course, my face would be distorted. But still, I I could definitely say where something like that could happen and somebody would really have no idea that they were planning, like somebody was planning on putting it out there in that capacity. You have to be so, so careful. And again, you know, I've kind of been a victim of this a couple of times myself and you don't know until you go through something and it almost makes me paranoid now, you know, someone takes six words that you say out of a, three minute video (laughs) completely out of context and, Mm -hmm. you know, post it under different pretense. And, you know, then everybody assumes that what that person is saying is true and that that was the, the true intent. And they don't take the time to do their homework or, you know, they just, they jump on the proverbial bandwagon. And again, it's that cancel culture, bloodthirst. And, you know, you just... You have to be so, so careful about knowing what someone might, if they're, if they're using your, if they're using you and with your permission in a video, for example, you need to really know what is going to be posted, even if you're not the one posting it. Yeah. It can be so damaging. It's dangerous. And I, I just, I think that it, if you really, it, I know it's hard because so many people are just addicted to social media and they, they just want to have even, you know, like on their break or like when yeah. they're eating their lunch, they just want to be sitting there scrolling their phone. But I really believe that probably the very safest thing for you to do would be to just not even have it on. But the thing is that only one person posted that 
on social media. Everybody else was just Mm -hmm. standing there getting filmed saying something. So you have to be careful in all aspects. You cannot, you know, just think about what you're saying to people. Think about, carry yourself as a professional. You are a professional. Think about your words have power. Your words affect people. Your words affect our profession. You know, with things that you say, you carry, if you go on the, on social media and make it look like this is what all labor and delivery nurses are saying about their patients, then look, think about how then potential moms who are coming to the hospital to have their babies are going to feel. They are going to feel insecure. They are going to be thinking, well, I don't want to hit the call light and ask for anything, or I'm afraid to, and I'm right. afraid to ask anything. They're probably, you know, thinking I'm an awful patient. I mean, gosh, that's the opposite of what you would want your patient, if you're a good nurse, opposite of what you'd want your patient to be thinking. You want them to be comfortable. You want to be like, here's your call light. Do not hesitate. Don't get out of this bed by yourself. You push this button. I don't want to bother you. You're not bothering me. That's my job. Say it and mean it. I mean, but then you go on social media and air... I feel like they these nurses, I swear, I, I think they probably, in their heart of hearts, they're good nurses. They're literally going on social media and they're presenting themselves and representing themselves in probably their very worst moment. Like the times when they're really stressed, really frustrated, they have a little, too much on them and they have a moment of like frustration and get, you know, just getting frustrated. You just aired that to everyone. Yeah. And, and regardless of what they may or may not be saying, you should never be making videos at work ever. I've been saying this so long. I feel like a broken record, but, but they're still out there doing it. They think that because, I mean, it happens every day. People send me videos that are just appalling. They think just because they're not in a patient's room, it's fine. Or because they're on a break, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I keep, I just keep repeating myself. Your employer has every legal right to fire you if you make a video yeah. at work. That's the bottom line. Now, I would love to make videos at work too. It, it would be fun, you know, and it would give some some realism and context to it instead of using like a green screen or describing something, you know. But I also understand being in leadership, how inappropriate that yeah. is. And they have every legal right to fire you. Not only is it almost always against the social media policy, but they can get you for theft of company time. Even if you're clocked out for lunch, you're on company property. Even if you're out in the parking garage in your car, you're on company property. Mm-hmm. And let's not bring in the whole like potential HIPAA component, you know, so you think you're not revealing any, you know, private personal health information, but you're describing a patient. And then all it takes is them looking at your badge or something in the background or going to your other social media profile to see where you Mm -hmm. work. And then it's not so hard, especially if it's a unique situation, which it usually is if you're talking about it, to, to kind of pinpoint time, you know, date, location, what patient. It's just a bad, bad idea. Never make videos at work. Yeah, not good. Well, that there's that problem. And then there's also choosing to do things as a nurse and thinking that somehow you can just get away with it because 
well, for one thing, maybe the patient's on hospice and you think that somehow like all the rules just go out the window because the patient is on hospice. They're on quote comfort measures. No, ma'am. That is not, that is not how that works. I've done a lot of hospice stories on this podcast. And let me just tell you, you are still bound by the laws of this land when it comes to patient care. You, my goodness, Erica, what story am I talking about? This is the craziest story ever. So in Wisconsin earlier this year, a patient was residing in a nursing home. He was on hospice, but but living in a nursing home. Now he he wasn't even that old. He was like 50 something, 60, had fallen a apparently at home, who knows how long until they found him. This was back in March. He had severe frostbite and at least one of his feet were necrotic. So his nurse, and I want to be clear, it was not his hospice nurse. It was a nurse in the nursing home that was assigned to him. Because when you live in a nursing home or a group home, you have both the nurse for the facility and then you have your hospice nurse that comes in to see you periodically. So a registered nurse at the nursing home, took it upon herself to amputate his necrotic foot, which sounds shocking at first, okay? Because of course, in no way, shape, or form is this anywhere in a nurse's scope of practice at all in any, any situation, right? But The foot, as I said, was necrotic, meaning it it was dead tissue, probably smelled bad. By all accounts, it was hanging on by a thread, (laughs) you know, not to, not to be inappropriate, but there was no tendon, right? Yes. A few inches of tissue and a tendon by Mm -hmm. all accounts. There was no like sawing through bone. It was nothing like that. But nonetheless, she made a conscious decision to separate a portion of the body from the body. So by, you know, effectively amputating the foot. But it it gets... It gets crazy because her family owns a taxidermy business and she had said to co-workers at the time that, you know, she was going to save the foot and make a display of it in with the taxidermy, however that works, and put a sign by it that says, wear your boots, kids. <sighs> Who knows if she was joking? I, I certainly hope that was just a bad joke. It probably was, but you know, it, it lends to this insanity. So as I, as I delved into this case, I came to find out that she had been talking about wanting to, you know, snip, snip and take off the foot for, for quite some time that evidently it was causing discomfort to the patient. You know, they had to do, I don't know, daily however often dressing changes and that he would try to get up. And I can only imagine if you try to get up and you have a foot that's just like, it's, it's a fall risk by all accounts, all accounts. She thought she was helping the patient. I do not think that there was any malicious intent Mm -hmm. whatsoever. She really thought that she was, you know, easing his suffering. Mm -hmm. Essentially. She had had previous conversations about, the possibility of doing this with the administrator of the facility and was told, don't, don't do that. (laughs) 
And I, I want to say I work in hospice. So from a hospice perspective, I am not at all surprised that they didn't do anything about this, that I am sure she reached out to the physician. I'm sure she requested that they do something. But in hospice, we do the bare minimum. And that's not because we want to get away with anything. It's because they're on hospice. Mm -hmm. they, are, they are dying. You know, would he have been stable for surgery to have this amputated the proper way? Probably not. And why are we going to put him through a potential procedure, you know, and the anesthesia and all of that, right? So I'm not at all surprised that they chose to do nothing other than, you know, keeping him comfortable. But she she went in, by all accounts, to do the dressing change, had a couple CNAs with her, had a like a suture removal kit with the scissors, and and made the decision in the moment, apparently, to remove the foot. There's accounts that the patient was groaning. Other people say that, no, it didn't cause him any discomfort, that, you know, it only took a minute. It wasn't, again, there was no bone, there was no bleeding. It was necrotic. Here's, here's another weird component of this. They didn't know what to do with the foot. <laughs> afterwards and finally this one of the CNAs went to the administrator and said what do we do with the foot and he took it put it in a freezer like a biohazard bag put it in in a freezer down in the basement the they didn't report it whenever you have a major event like this you are obligated the organization to report it to the applicable agencies they did not do that patient ended up dying not too long after a week or two later. I don't think he died because she amputated it. He was going to die anyway. And when they put him in the body bag to go to the funeral home, they threw the foot in with it. <laughs> no explanation. So now imagine you are at, you know, the mortuary, mm -hmm. wherever, the, the funeral home, and you unzip the body bag and, okay, you have this body that you need to prepare, and then there's a foot. And how did <laughs> the foot get detached? A random mm -hmm. foot without any explanation, right. you know? So that is what ultimately led to this being discovered and reported, and they eventually did an autopsy, and she has, she has been arrested. She was charged. She is facing, I believe, not up to 96 years in prison and a hefty fine. She's charged with two counts of, don't quote me, it's something like elder abuse, which carries an extra weighted sentence because it's an elder person. Mm -hmm. And she's charged with mayhem, which I thought was kind of funny until I realized it comes from the, the verb maim. Mm. You are, you know, literally physically maiming someone, mm -hmm. right? So this just happened not too long ago, and she just had her first day in court about a week or so ago. And so we'll, we'll see where this where this case yeah. goes. Is she in jail now? Do you know if she detained or? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. And I ch I did check her nursing license. She became an RN in 2020, which you know. That's that speaks volumes, not to make excuses, but that speaks volumes. But apparently she may have been an LPN oh, prior okay. to obtaining her RN, so would have had more experience. But last time I checked, her nursing license was intact. It did not 
have anything listed against hmm. it. I don't think she's working now as a nurse. You know, wow. I, this story, I am so conflicted about this story because I do believe that what she did was wrong. You don't ever, you don't, I mean, I think sometimes nurses just get, they get the idea that somehow they can justify their actions based on what would be reasonable or what to, is reasonable to them. Yeah. What, what, what somebody would maybe yeah. think looked as though they were just trying to help the patient. And well, it practicing outside your scope is practicing outside your scope is practicing outside your scope. <laughs> Exactly, And I don't care if it's exactly. giving somebody a bolus because you're worried about their blood pressure, but you don't have an order for it. Or now it's different if you work in an ICU and you have you do have some protocols in place. Usually like if you're in an ICU, I know that ICUs I've worked for at, at certain hospitals, the, it's literally written in the policy. Standing yes, orders. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's actually written in the policy that that an RN working in an ICU capacity has, you can literally go and get a presser and start it. Any life-saving medication, atropine, for example, epi, levofed, you, you can literally go and get medication like that and start administering it and basically knowing at the same time you're getting somehow getting a, a provider, you are getting someone's attention and saying, I need a doctor, I need a, a nurse practitioner, I need somebody, but I'm going to do this now or this patient's going to die. So you, it's literally written in the policy that you can do that. That's one thing. But if you're just working on, you know, there's, I've seen nurses do this, especially ICU nurses, they're really bad about doing this, you get floated to a regular floor. And all of a sudden, you just think you're a doctor, and you can just do whatever you want to. <laughs> no, you can't. You just can't. You have to work within your within your scope. It does I don't care if you know and understand. Even if you're a nurse practitioner and you have all this knowledge and you actually legally are a nurse like a licensed nurse practitioner but you're working in the capacity of yes. a registered nurse of a staff nurse. You have to work within the policy of the hospital mm -hmm. and within the scope of the position that you're working in. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's a crazy, crazy case. And, you know, I, I truly believe she thought she was easing his suffering. I do too. That's why I said I'm conflicted. Uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, 96 years. And she literally probably yeah. was just thinking, you know, I can just make him more comfortable. And, you know, she just didn't yeah. even realize the consequences. And he probably wasn't even thinking in terms of am amputation. Right. I, I I would assume that had someone used that word specifically, it may have given her pause. She may have not done this. She was probably more so thinking of, I mean, it's hanging on by a thread. It's it's really just a matter of, you know, part of like the wound like care. Cleaning almost. a wound. Yeah. Yeah. And if had it only but, been necrotic tissue and she was literally just like cleaning and it, there were orders to clean, let's say with normal saline, wound wash and to, you know, clean with wound wash and pat dry or whatever and clean the wound bed. If and you're doing that and necrotic tissue comes off as you're doing that and it's separated, mm -hmm. that would be totally different. That's fine. Yes. That's fine. totally different. And I've had that happen to me where I've taken a sock off a patient and their toe rolled across. Yeah. The floor. Now you didn't amputate the toe. <laughs> you were taking no. the sock off and the toe came off as a result because it was already yeah. it was already detached. It had already died. 
But if a yeah. tendon, you know, that tendon, think about a tendon. I had a patient one time who had had a history of substance use disorder. She had been injecting drugs intravenously and had a horrible infection in her wrist. And when you when you went to do the wound care, you could literally see this tendon moving back and forth as she as she moved her wrist. Yeah. The doctor was freaked out about it. That I went in there to do the wound care and the doctor was in there while I was doing it and then when we left, she said you could see that tendon just moving back and forth. I, she was freaked out about it. I was like, I know, I was freaked out about it the other day, but now I'm like used to it. I, I've already seen it so many times, but no, it was disturbing. You, That's probably not going to just come, it's not going to just detach on its own. I mean, really? Mm, it's one, I mean, the bone, think about the, the bone, it was osteomyelitis. That bone literally just rotted off. But those tendons, man, they're like rubber bands. I mean, they just, you know. Yeah. 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 Just a a huge lapse in judgment. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think, I don't think nurses these days, that sounds so cliche. Nurses these days, they don't always think about scope of practice and your nurse practice act. I don't know if that's not really emphasized Mm -hmm. in nursing school as much anymore, but if you are a nurse, you need to have your state's, you know, scope of practice, your nurse practice mm-hmm. act at the ready, and you need to be able to refer to it. And if you do anything outside of that, regardless of the extenuating circumstances, that is mm-hmm. on you. And and legally, it will be on you, your license, the board of nursing, it will all come down yeah. to you, because they're not going to care about anything about the details, anything that led up to it, they are simply going to say, was this within your scope of practice? And you say no, and that's where it ends. And you're responsible for knowing your scope of Mm -hmm. practice. Yeah, that is so true. I don't know what's going to happen to her. I do. I I feel bad for her just because I do feel as you do. I feel like she thought she was doing the right thing for the patient. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. I We'll we'll see how this plays out, and maybe we all need to just learn a lesson, you know, from this. There's lots of stories like this that we can learn lessons from. I had Nurse Maggie, the advocate, advocate Maggie, on oh, yeah. had her on a few weeks ago, and we talked about how nurses can just we can get ourselves into some serious trouble without even realizing what we're doing, and then all of a sudden we get a letter from the the board of nursing, and and then it's like mm-hmm. our eyes are open to the things that could potentially happen, you know, because we find ourselves in a lawsuit or we, we just think, oh, I was just doing my yeah. job. I was just trying to help the patient. And, I'm, and we're treated like we're a criminal. And it, it's scary. It's a, it's a difficult situation to be in. Absolutely. Well, Erica, thank you so much for coming back and hosting another episode. Of course. Remind my everybody pleasure. where they can thank find you. Absolutely. So my website is nurseerica.com and you can find me on TikTok and Instagram at the nurse Erica. It's Erica with a C and on Facebook at nurse Erica. Oh, also YouTube. <laughs> yep. A little bit everywhere. And same here. You can find us on good nurse, bad nurse on all the social media sites. And you can email me at Tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And of course, I appreciate you going on Apple Podcasts that give me a nice five-star review just to kind of bury all those other ugly, just the very few, you know, people 
who for some reason decide that they don't like us and they want to let everybody know <laughs> that I'm, there's always one. I know there's always somebody. Well, I appreciate all the rest of you guys. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, oh, please be a good nurse. <laughs> <laughs>